let's give him the praise that he deserves. Let's give him the worship that he deserves. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's brought us a long way, some further than others. And because of that, we know that he can take us the rest of the journey. Don't know what lies ahead, but I know who is ahead, and that's Jesus. Praise God. And the Lord great. Amen. So good to see all of you tonight, Brother and Sister Bowley. Their picture is going to appear on milk cartons because they're going to become missing senior citizens. We're not going to let them go home. <laughs> so they'll be looking for them, and when they come to us, we'll say, we have no idea where they're at. But it's good to see you all. It's good to see Aaron. Amen. I mean, I don't know how many years it's been, but I recognize you even with your long flowing hair. You're so beautiful, and your kids, thank you so much for being here tonight. We can't, uh, we can't show you snow and mountains, but we can show you sunshine. <laughs> Praise God. Isn't he good? Amen. Let's have our ushers come tonight. There's still people that are battling sickness. Probably there's some folks that are watching tonight online that would rather be here, uh, but their bodies are just not well. Sister Simmons, we miss you. Hopefully you'll be better, Brother Sister Schamberger, and uh, Anna, Brandon, different ones. We're going to pray tonight that the hand of God will reach forth and touch our saints that are ill, they're battling sinus, cold, flu, COVID, whatever they want to call it, God is able, took 39 stripes to heal anything and everything that comes our way. Y'all believe that? I still believe it. There's the doctrine of laying on of hands, and we can't lay hands on those that are not here tonight, but let's stretch forth our hand as we pray for the offering. Let's release the virtue and power of God from this place to heal. Jesus, we exalt you. We're standing in your presence tonight, blessed and thankful. God, we release the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus Christ. God, to go forth to all that are sick tonight, you will perform the miracle of healing in their bodies. That Sunday, this place will be packed out with people with testimonies of what God has wrought. In Jesus' name, bless what we're ready to receive. Multiply it for your use, Father. We give you honor for it now in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you.
50 years ago, my wife changed her name from Fraser to Bruce. Well, it'll be 50 years in April. Best move she ever made. <laughs> it was 49 years ago, about this time of the year, that we took the name of Jesus Christ in baptism, never regretted it. And uh, Lord willing, tonight, Jonathan is going to do that. What an awesome and an incredible thing it is to take the Lord's name in obedience to the Word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about angels tonight, and before the husbands get excited, no, we're not going to talk about your wives. <laughs> we might interject a little bit about them, we're going to talk about some evil angels later, but no, I'm just kidding. First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, 9 through 12. <clears throat> Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. You may be seated. We're going to read verse 11. But before we do, I want to at least make a comment about what we just read. Because based on the Apostle Peter's first epistle here, many of the Old Testament prophets uh, who prophesied of the grace that was to come and, and, of course, of the Messiah and what the Messiah would provide for the sin of man, they inquired, uh, or they exiteo, they searched diligently, or they exeranual, of those things concerning the time that that grace would appear. Because one of the mysteries that surrounded the prophets, even though they could see incredible and wonderful things, one of the mysteries was the timing of it all, the timing of it. We're engrossed right now in uh, uh, the aspect of time, the timing of the coming of the Lord. We know that the coming of the Lord is near, but we don't know the day or the hour that he is going to return. Uh, Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. And we have been watching these things come to pass for a long time, so they're not just beginning to come to pass. They have been coming to pass for uh, a number of decades. But verse 11 says something that will help us to launch into what we're going to talk to you about tonight. So searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Throughout the Bible, dispensational timing or transitional events have for the most part remained hidden until they actually came to pass. One of the few times that Israel knew about the timing of events was that their captivity in Babylon was, was prophesied that it would be 70 years. But most of the time, uh, the prophets had no idea concerning the timeline of when certain events would occur. So uh, throughout the ages, having seen all of the things that they saw through the lens of prophecy, they waited for that grace that they witnessed through the lens of prophecy to appear in much the same way that we are now waiting 
for the coming of the Lord to occur. We see these things, we know it's going to happen, and we know there are other relational events that are occurring and that are going to occur in the earth, but we are waiting now for that major event to happen, just like the prophets waited, and many of them, of course, most of them never lived to see it come to pass. Something else emerges out of these verses that will also provide us with fodder for this Bible study tonight, and it's found in verse number 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister these things, or these things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels were, were curious about all of this. And we're going to talk about the angels and present a certain side tonight. Then, uh, Lord willing, next week we'll merge what we talk about tonight with what we're going to present in part number two. So while the prophets inquired, they actually searched diligently, the scripture says, concerning the sufferings of Christ, which they could see through the lens of prophecy, and the glory that would follow that suffering or that sacrifice, it's written that it also was the fascination of the angelic host. It captivated them. It captured them. It was something that they could not really fully grasp or understand uh, what was going to occur, even why it was going to occur, and they had a desire to look into it, to understand it better, which is fascinating to me, even thinking that you think angels got it all figured out. But God didn't reveal everything to them either. So the, the words look into is actually one Greek word, perikaputo, and it virtually means to stoop down near or by something to bend forward or near in order to look at something more closely. Now, that's what the angels have been doing for the ages. That's what they have been doing concerning what you and I have received as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somehow, I can see the angels concerning everything that God has done for us and is doing in us. I can see the angels somewhat scratching their head. I, I, I really don't fully understand this exactly uh, like the people of God who have received it understand it. And so uh, they stoop down. I, I have at times looked down and seen ants crawling, and they're fascinating. I've got down to get a closer look, and that's what the angels have done concerning this salvation. While there are many who will spurn this and consider it not worth uh, giving a second look to, the angels are still scratching their head over what you and I have received. So God revealed to the prophets uh, things about the Messiah concerning the what and the why and even the where, uh, he would endure such suffering, and, of course, the grace that would come after that or would follow that, and it captured the attention of angels. And perhaps they were enamored by God's intrinsic love, and I begin wondering about this because un un unless I have missed it somewhere, 
in the scriptures, I haven't really seen or read, maybe you have and you can point this out to me later, where the angels uh, have a deep love for even God or man or anything. Do they have that affection? Do they have the ability to have that affection? Now, we know they're worshiping angels. We're going to talk about them in a moment. But we have the capacity to love. Do they even understand that? Do they even grasp the fact that, that we love God with all of our heart and, and uh, we love one another uh, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? Perhaps God will help us with that understanding as time goes on. But in my musings and in, in my meditations and, and so on concerning the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, it became apparent to me that the angels were deeply involved in that process. They weren't on the stage. They were uh, behind the curtain, so to speak. But they, they weren't oblivious. They weren't on, uh, on, in another world somewhere unaware of what was being transacted in the earth and what was occurring unto their creator, unto the almighty God who was at this time robed in flesh. And it so piqued my interest that I've spent a concerted amount of time looking at how the angels may have responded, what they may have thought uh, as they watched in horror uh, when the Son of God was mutilated and subsequently put to death. But as soon as angels are mentioned, we immediately become interested. It, uh, I, I bought a book one time years ago about angel stories, and I was so disappointed because there were people that weren't even saved, had no concept of God or the oneness of God or, or Acts 2.38 that had tremendous and awesome experiences with angels. I just That's not what I expected it to be. We want to know about angels, don't we? We want to know more information about angels, but don't go to the Internet. I mean, there might be some good resources there, but there's so much there that is, uh, that is fictional and it, that is uh, mythical. Uh, I think I mentioned once before, Brother Hopper, and we were in Branson. <coughs> he's getting ready to preach one Sunday morning. He came up to me beforehand. He said, how many archangels were there? I said, well, there used to be three, but... Lucifer fell, that was only two. He said, thank you. So because that's what he believes, when you go on the Internet, there are dozens of archangels, and they have names, really cool names, and I have no idea where they get all this stuff. But it sure isn't from the, the Word of God, not the King James Bible anyway. So also prevalent today is the worship of angels. <coughs> There's a, a big thing in the uh, New Age uh, environment, community, to worship angels, and also to command angels. We have angels at our command. Well, if I had angels at my command, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have taken me 25 minutes to get to church tonight. I got here a lot quicker than that. We don't command angels, and we only commune with angels. When they speak to us, we will, of course, communicate with them. Otherwise, angels are God's servants, and they are there for God to command uh, and to sin to do whatever he will. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, But to which the angels said he at any time sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
the words translated there, Hebrew melech in Greek is agalos or angelos, uh, is, it essentially means messenger. So that's a very simplified explanation for what an angel is and, and what the purpose of angels are for. But angels are angelic envoys. They are messengers, but they're also sent by God to perform very specific uh, tasks. They, they do what God tells them to do, and that's what angels are for. 1 Timothy 5.21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another uh, before another, doing nothing by partiality. Now, this is a very interesting statement because it seems to indicate on the surface that there are some angels that are, elect means chosen, there are some angels that are more chosen or more preferred than other angels, and that's really not the case. But while the angels differ in appearance, they perhaps difference in size. I, I know they differ in ability in respect to their creative purpose, but there's no indication that God has a preferred or select elect group of angels. So you can say, well, my angel's bigger than your angel. Well, I, I don't think that's true because that's not the intent of Paul's statement to begin with. What is more likely that Paul is saying here that there are angels of light and there are angels of darkness. And he is referring, of course, to the angels of light or to the good angels. Uh, keep in mind that demons are fallen angels. This is not new to any of us, but uh, demons are fallen angels. Uh, they followed Lucifer in rebellion, and they were expelled, as he was, out of heaven and cast into the earth. I want to talk about that for a few minutes uh, because I believe it's relevant to our study of angels. 2 Peter 2 and 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, which is another interesting thing for us because they weren't given a free moral agency, but God did give them enough leeway so that they could make decisions on their own. Henceforth, they did make wrong choices and decisions and sinned against God, which kept not or the angels that sinned, excuse me, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. It's not literal chains so that they're tied down in hell and can't leave hell. Chains of darkness is they live in a darkened understanding. They, they will never know the truth. They do not know the truth. They crucify the Lord of glory. If they'd known what they were doing, they'd have never done it because they're in darkness. They can't see as you and I see uh, spiritually. Jude 1 and 6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of that great day. So in John 10 and 10, Jesus said that devils are, are, the, are the, our adversary, demon spirits, they are only bent on stealing and killing and destroying everything and everyone that God loves. That's, that's all they are intent on doing. Uh, they, they love nothing else than to take down a child of God. They love nothing else when an apostolic man or woman backslides and they reclaim them for the, for the pit of hell where they were cast into originally. That's what they live for. That's what they thrive on. The destruction of families, the destruction of children, the destruction of uh, people's lives. 
And so while the appearance of fallen angels have changed, and it has changed because uh, Lucifer was a beautiful archangel, uh, angel of light, angel of worship, but he is deformed now as all his followers are. Those beautiful angels that were cast down to hell are now ugly and deformed and horrific looking, very scary looking. And the reason I know that is because a man that was able to see uh, demons, Kenneth Reeves, told me personally that they are just horrible, scary-looking creatures now because they have been deformed by their rebellion against God. So while the appearance of these angels have changed, 2 Corinthians 11.13 says that Satan has the ability, as well as does all of his emissaries, to transform themselves into an angel of light. <clears throat> I worked with a, a Mormon years ago, and uh, he told me that if an angel, this is what the Mormon church taught that he was going to, uh, if, an, if an angel shows up to you, how do you know if it's an angel or it's a devil? And he was taught that reach out and shake their hand. If the angel shakes your hand, you know it's an angel. But if it's a devil, they will pull back and not shake your hand. Well, don't, don't put any stock in that. I'm just telling you what he told me. We, uh, but uh, they're deformed. They, they emit a different aura about them. And so it's good to know that they can appear as an angel of light, but that doesn't change who they are. It doesn't change the aura that they emit, the evil that they emit. Matthew 25, 41 <coughs> says, then, uh, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Thankfully, God has given us the discerning of spirits. If you've ever walked into a room, walked into a grocery store, walked into anywhere, and you felt that, ooh, that's discerning of spirits. It doesn't mean turn and run out. It just means, you know, there's something there that's evil, that's working in someone or something that's in that place, and it puts us on guard. So even if an angel of light comes up to you, trust me, your Holy Ghost is going to let you know that that's not an angel of light. It's an angel of darkness. So angels are essentially their purpose, among many other things, I, I'm sure, is that they are ministering spirits that were created by God and they serve God in many different capacities. They're not isolated to just one particular task or chore. Or chore. Uh, most angels, I would presume, can multitask, but there are some angels that are very specific in nature and ability. I'll give you an example in that. Uh, when Daniel prayed, and he, he, he said, we learn by his mistake, or not mistake, but we learn by his experience, don't pray and say, God, I'm going to fast until you give me an answer. Because Daniel did that, and it took 21 days for the answer to come. Now, the reason it took so long is Gabriel was sent, take Daniel an answer. He, he just asked for an answer. Well, Gabriel was held up by the prince of Persia. Gabriel is a messenger angel. He is not a warring angel. And so he wrestled with the prince of Persia for 21 days until Michael was sent to relieve him. Now, Michael was able to deal with the prince of Persia. He is a archangel of war. He's a warring angel. Meanwhile, Gabriel goes on with his message, and Daniel was saying, what took you so long? So they have different abilities and different purposes, and uh, sometimes very specific. The Bible reveals that God is attended to by an entire company or a host of very powerful heavenly beings. These beings are unquestionably 
devoted to God and subordinate to God in everything, in everything. They don't pick and choose. It's not 80-20. It's 100% committed to the authority of their creator. And they share in his company, in his presence, in his glory. In fact, they reflect his glory and his majesty. One of the functions of this heavenly host is the protection and guardianship of the faithful. I doubt seriously if there's much of any time of our day when there is not an angel of God somewhere near you. Every day that you live, everywhere that you go, uh, there's going to be an angel that is looking over you and uh, ready to protect you at a moment's notice. We've all heard many stories of missionaries and things that have uh, occurred in the moments of crisis, and it was because of the presence of angels. Psalms 34, 7 says, And the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Now, I, I don't visually picture a tent set up with angels camping out around the redeemed of God, but the indication is that they, they are permanent fixtures. They live there. That's where they abide. That's their mission. That's what they've been charged to do. They don't come and go, although there are angels that will come and go. There are angels that are encamped round about those that fear God, and they are there for the purpose of ministering to God's people. Psalms 91.11, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. All thy ways. The scriptures reveal virtually nothing about the nature of angels. Silence. We don't know what they like, what they don't like. We don't know, we don't know if they have feelings. Do they have emotions? Uh, do they get mad? Do they get set? We, we really have no information about the nature of angels other than, I guess, the only uh, indication we would have is the fact that Lucifer got lifted up in pride. He, he had that going on, right? And uh, that's what, of course, uh, led to his uh, being cast out of heaven. He actually thought, believed, that he could overthrow, this is, this is how pride blinds even the most spiritually astute people. Lucifer actually believed he could displace the God that was everywhere in the universe. Now, how he intended to do that, I have no idea, but he, he so believed it that he acted on that ridiculous and foolish rebellion. Pride and arrogance, the sense of self-importance, the sense that God needs me and that you need me, that is a very dangerous thing to a child of God. So angels perform their duties in complete and absolute obedience to God's commands, and they appear to do it without uh, emotion. They appear to do it without any sentiment about what they have been commanded or sent to do. It's interesting to me. They just do it. I mean, when, when, when uh, 
the angel of the Lord and two other angels showed up at Abraham's camp on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. The two angels went on their way. The angel of the Lord stayed and talked to Abraham. Abraham was all upset. The other two angels said, I don't have a problem with that. We're going to rain fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah and the whole area. The angels had no problem with it. We're indiscriminate. We're just going to do what God told us to do. Abraham's going, wait a minute. Let's talk about this, God. We don't see that they actually felt anything or thought anything. Or they were, it's not that they were indifferent. They were just committed. They were committed to whatever God commanded them to do. An example of this is 1 Chronicles 21, 14 through 16. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. Now put that into perspective. We're we are at a, a gasp right now because of the 50-some thousand people that just died in, in Egypt from this earthquake. 50-some thousand people. My gosh. But yet pestilence came to Israel, and 70,000 men died. Verse 15, God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the angel beheld, and he repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed it, it is enough. Stay now thy hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. David lifts up his eyes, saw the angel of the Lord stand between earth and heaven, having its sword drawn in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. There are many other examples very similar to this in the Word of God, which reveal the angels uh, acted in complete indiscriminate obedience under the commands of God. Uh, kind of wish we could do that. I kind of wish we, we could do that perhaps better than we do. But again, we have feelings, we have our own ideas, we have our own agenda. We have emotions, we have preferences, we have biases, we have prejudices. And so it's more difficult for us to act accordingly. Thank God the angels don't struggle with these things. So perhaps this is what Paul was referring to in 1 Timothy 5.21 where he alluded to the elect angels admonishing us in respect to them Likewise, to observe these things without preferring one before another and doing nothing by partiality. So if you can just do this like the angels do it, it'll be a great benefit to the kingdom of God. So during the seven years of great tribulation, the angels of God will facilitate the judgments of God his wrath upon the human race and upon the earth itself, and they will do it without deference, and they will do it without prejudice. So the angels will pronounce seven woes. They will sound seven trumpets, and they will pour out seven vials of wrath. And it will be upon the entire human race and it will result in tribulation like the world has never seen and will never see again. I'm talking about angels, angels. So although angels serve many auxiliary functions, uh, the absolute devotion that they have to God is what captures my attention. And because of that, 
when I view Calvary, I can't imagine what the angels must have been experiencing as that occurred. We're going to talk about that. Revelation 7, 11 says, And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. Some say that angels cannot worship God with the redeemed. That's not true. They may not sing with us when we sing songs about the blood and the grace of God and the salvation of God and what we have experienced through God's grace. But while they're unable to join the redeemed in celebration of their salvation, make no mistake about it, they are not silent when we worship God in spirit and truth. They are not silent bystanders. They do not stand along the walls with their arms folded silent at attention while worship is going forth in the sanctuary. They are worshipers of God, worshipers of God. And I think sometimes when you begin to feel that lift, it's like a, like a plane on a, on, a, on a runway when it reaches the right speed and they get enough of air going over the wings that it begins to give them that lift. You begin to feel that lift off. I believe that that's when angels begin to join us in our worship experience. That's not a time just to just back off. It's not a time to, to slough off. It's time to, to pour more into worship because there's no telling where God's going to take us if we will follow the Spirit of God in that, in that way. So a classic example of angelic worship there's no better example than Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, in the year the King Uzziah died, verses 1 through 4, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. This is one of my favorite uh, places in the scripture. He said, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. So they had six wings. I thought that poor finish, but I... No, but Six wings. Um, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let me point out that there was no audience for them to be performing for. There were nobody that they were, uh, they were there in front of. It was just them and God and the glory of God. Uh, we have a problem sometimes when we have uh, a certain number of visitors in the congregation to back off the worship and back off the praise and diminish our exuberance and our, our, our adoration of God. Listen, if they want to see that, they can go to the Baptist church down the street. When they walk into an apostolic church, they ought to see unfettered, unadulterated praise and worship. <laughs> Full blown. Nothing held back at all. Verse 4, the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Man, that just, that moves me. That gets me excited. The name seraphim actually means burning one. And it's interesting in respect uh, to a number of venues, but uh, my mind first goes to John telling his disciples, there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with 
fire. With fire. The Holy Ghost is supposed to come with fire. It's not supposed to be this, this uh, oh boy, this feels like a warm sensation. It's supposed to be fire in our soul. Amen. And we ought to be hungry for more of that fire when we uh, worship, when we pray, when we experience the Spirit of God in our lives. We're going to talk more about the fire in a moment. In regard of the demonstrative and adulterated worship of God, Isaiah witnesses something that is very profound, and it describes the worship of the seraphim. He said the post of the door moved. If you've ever been around the, sitting at a stoplight and somebody pulls up and they got some big basses, speakers in the trunk of their cars, boom, 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 boom. Your car is vibrating at the sound that's pulsating from those speakers. This is what's going on in the, in the, in the throne room. There's a pulsating, a vibration. The posts of the door are pulsating and moving and shuddering at the sound and at the volume and at the power that's being released from the seraphim as they worship their God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So I want you to know something about the worship of angels. The worship of angels is not subdued. The worship of angels is not silent. The worship of angels is not passive. Worship is loud. Worship is bold. Worship is raucous. Worship is demonstrative. Worship is a soulful declaration of the greatness and majesty of Almighty God, and it deserves our heart and our soul. Just hearing the messenger of what Gabriel told her, Mary said, My soul doth magnify thee, O Lord. It's more than the body, the hands, the arms, the hands, the mouth, the eyes. It is the soul that's got to release something unto God. And we do that through our, through our voices and through our hands, through our feet, and through any way that we can exhibit our, our, our love of God and our worship of God. So I get it that we're not angels. We cannot reach the level that they do. Uh, uh, but I think that they cannot worship God any less than they do. And so we should do the same thing. We should worship God with an abandon and with a boldness and an audacity. So the post of the doors of heaven shook and shuddered. And not only that, uh, Isaiah said that, that smoke filled the house. The whole house was filled with smoke. Uh, something ought to happen when we worship God. Something should happen. It should never be routine. It, sh it should never be just let's do three songs, do a sermon, have an altar call, and go home. When we worship God uh, through the leadership of our worship team, I want you from now on, we are wading into the waters of his presence. We're wading into the waters of his spirit. 
This is, it, we're wading into the deeper things of God. And we're wading into the possibility and potential. We're wading into uh, the supernatural right here. And, and, and I really love it, sis, when you break away from the songs you had in your list and you, you take off on a tangent when you follow the Holy Ghost because every time you do that, we experience God in a deeper dimension, a greater manifestation of his power. Amen. I understand uh, Thursday nights are a little different because... Uh, it's already 25 after 8, and I'm only half done, so we only sing a couple songs so the preacher can get to the pulpit so you don't have to stay here so late. And I haven't decided how late that's going to be yet, so pray for you and for me and yourself. Something ought to happen. Something ought to be released. We should not let the angels in this room out-worship us. No way. We should not do that. If they're here and they are always here, then, then uh, we should worship to the level that they worship to. Amen. When we exalt the name of Jesus, we should expect something to happen. And listen to me. We should not settle for anything less. Amen. Moses was commanded to make an altar of incense. It went in the holy place. It was one of the uh, things that was in the holy place. It was a candelabrum, table of shewbread, altar of incense. Exodus chapter 30, verse 1, And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon of shittim wood, shalt thou make it. Verse 6, And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. In other words, the priest, the high priest, had to go through the smoke in the holy place that was as a result of burning incense upon the altar of incense. He had to go through the incense, through the smoke, and, and, and through that to get to the veil and into the holiest of holies on the day of atonement. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. When Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. The temple was constantly filled with the fragrance that came from the altar of incense. Anytime you went into the tabernacle or into the temple, there was a fragrance that wafted out of that holy room because someone was burning incense. There was always incense on the fire, and it was, it was being crystallized by the heat, and smoke was rising from the altar of incense. Holy Ghost fire, ladies and gentlemen, is vital. It is very important to praise, worship, and to an altar of prayer. Holy Ghost fire. Without the fire, there is no smoke. Without the fire, there is no fragrance. Doesn't matter what else we bring to the table. We have to burn the incense through Holy Ghost fire to emit a fragrance in the sanctuary. And it's important that we do that. Revelation 5, 6 through 14. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. 
when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. They had golden vials. Now, I don't know how this is done. I don't know how God does this. But when their smoke rises up out of your prayer room, I'm telling you, God somehow catches that smoke that comes off of your altar of prayer. It's collected and held in golden vials. And in those golden vials, there are odors of the prayers of the saints of God. I'm telling you that something happens when you throw something on the fires of God, the fires of God in praise, in prayer, in faith, in hope, in sacrifice. The odors, those odors are collected. You may think you're not accomplishing anything when you pray, but you are. You are. And those prayers are vital. I firmly believe uh, in my heart that uh, these vials will be poured out in the earth during the tribulation when things are at their absolute worst, when the church is not here and Israel has just got the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, hell is being released, the wrath of God is being poured out, and without these vials being poured out, perhaps nobody would be saved. It's important that you pray every single day. Verse 9, they sung a new song, Thou art worthy to take the book, open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beasts, the elders, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth, under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and under the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worship him that lived forever and ever. If we truly want angels to be present when we gather for service, for worship, we must never offer our Lord lackadaisical, lukewarm, apathetic, and lethargic worship. You know, a lot is said about when you're going through a trial that you should praise God through the trial. In fact, I hear so much about that, sometimes I almost get nauseated. Come on, we got that. We, we get it. When, when you're sick, when you're going through hell, when you're going through a problem, you worship God. I get it. We, we don't need to hear it another hundred times. What about when you're not going through something? What about when everything's good? What about when you're being blessed? We came out of a, of, a, of a shopping center yesterday. There was a family standing there with two children with a sign held up, mom, dad, two kids, and the woman was about, what, four or five months pregnant. I'm talking about when you got it good, you see people like that, they have, they have nothing. They have nothing. We have, we, have, we have so much. 
And what was the problem with Laodicea? It's their much. They had so much. They were so blessed. What about bringing down the house when nobody's on their deathbed? What about worshiping the fire down when nobody's going through a trial? What about worshiping the power of God down when everything is well with our soul? We just come with a hunger. We just come with a desire, amen, to reach God and to experience God. What's wrong with that? If God knows the only time you're going to pray and worship is when you're going through hell, you're inviting a lot of hell into your life. God, you don't need to send me that. <coughs> I'm going to praise you. Amen. I'm going to worship you. <laughs> Just give me the chance. <clears throat> well, the seraphim are burning ones. They also serve another purpose. And it's in Isaiah 6, 5, and 7. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It dawned on me the other day, and I'm, I'm slow to catch up. I know you picked up on this probably years ago, but just dawned on me the other day that, that I am going to get to see Jesus I'm going to get to see Abraham and Moses. Going to get to see, physically see them, what they look like when I get to heaven. Maybe I've been focusing on something else. I don't know. <laughs> see, there is revelation here tonight. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal. I'm going to finish with this, although I'm not at the end of the uh, study, but we'll finish with this tonight. So musicians, you can join me on the platform. Uh, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched my lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Immediately after Isaiah <coughs> said, woe is me, for I am undone. Immediately after he acknowledged his uncleanness, his unworthiness, his spiritual ineptitude, uh, one of the seraphims launched into action. I don't read that he was commanded. I'm not saying that the seraphim wasn't. But it doesn't tell us that the seraphim was ordered of the Lord to do this. But he, he left his, where he was flying with two wings and, and worshiping God, and he flew to the altar. This also tells me that even in the holy throne room of God, there is an altar with burning coals of fire upon it. And the angel went and used a pair of tongs. It also tells me that this burning fire, even though a seraphim is, the, is, is referred to as a burning one, he could not pick up that coal of cleansing. It was too hot for even an angel to pick up. Ladies and gentlemen, the angels want to look into this. They do not understand what's going on with us. They can understand how a drunk can walk in the door of an apostolic church and walk out 
free of their alcoholism, delivered, filled with the Holy Ghost, all sins. They do not understand that. So he doesn't understand it. He takes the, picks up this coal with a pair of tongs, and he carries it over to where Isaiah is. And, and, and Isaiah is, is acknowledging his sin, his uncleanness, and the seraphim lays the coal upon he can't touch it. It's too hot for him, for an angel, a superior created being, but he lays it on Isaiah's mouth. If it's too hot for me, I wonder what it's going to do to him. I'll tell you what it's going to do. It's going to cleanse him of his uncleanness. It's going to burn some things out of him. It took an angel for that to occur. What an incredible thing. And uh, whatever sin he had, whatever iniquity he felt he had, whatever state of unworthiness, whatever he felt was disqualifying him must have been legitimate because this angel sprung into action and uh, put this coal upon his mouth. I'm not saying that this establishes a precedence or a particular doctrine, but at least shows us that there was at least one time when God used an angel to purge a man of his unworthiness and prepare him for a mission that he was not qualified for. So angels are not always here to pat us on the back. Doing a good job, buddy. Sometimes angels are here to help us purge ourselves and to cleanse ourselves of unrighteousness and uncleanness and of things that are preventing us from performing the work of God in the world today. Second Corinthians 7 and 1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves. Holy Ghost, I feel you so strongly right now. Let us cleanse ourselves. We are too quick to defend ourselves. We're so quick to deny any potential faults within ourselves. We're so quick to argue with conviction that it's not pride, it's not vanity, it's not arrogance, it's not a sense of self-importance. It's got to be something else, God. It can't be that. To cleanse ourselves. You know, I, I have come to believe that we do foot washing all wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it the way we do it that we shouldn't keep doing it that way. But I think we missed the point. I think legitimate foot washing is when you go to someone you don't like, someone you feel like has offended you, and wash their feet. Jesus said if you know someone has ought against you, you can't even really worship till you make it right. 
I think foot washing is supposed to be done in a spirit of humility, not, well, okay, it's, it's okay, you wash mine, I wash yours, now let's go down the line. I think it's much deeper than that, and we have missed the point. Cleanse ourselves. The saints of God that said unto me, as pastor will tell you, when we did communion, the first 30 minutes, we were repenting in the altar before we took the bread and the cup. Because the Bible says if you eat unworthily, you eat and drink damnation to yourself. I don't think two minutes of self-examination really cuts it. I don't think that's enough. We, we are human beings prone to uh, carnality. The Bible says examine yourself. Okay, I'm good. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You can stand with me. I hear the words coming to me from the Holy Ghost saying, prepare for duty. Prepare. Prepare, prepare for duty. My God, prepare for duty. Prepare for duty. And we take it so lightly. Prepare for duty. I told this to my wife on the way to church tonight. Uh, Passages of Scripture captured my attention in Corinthians. When the children of Israel were backslidden from God. And the prophet told them that if, if you will return to the Lord, speaking to people that were in Israel, in Jerusalem, if you will return to the Lord, then your brethren and, and, and family members that are in captivity, God will give them favor in the eyes of their captors. They may be hundreds of miles away, but if you will return to the Lord, God will give them favor among their captors. We need to return to the Lord. We need to get the junk out. We need to admit that we need an angel. We need God. We need somebody to come and lay a hot coal upon our lips and our hearts and our lives and purge us of this junk. Because we need to prepare for duty. My God. My God. My God. The Lord help us tonight. Even though Isaiah was appointed and anointed, he was a courtroom preacher, he was highly anointed of God, he was very eloquent in speech. God was 
calling him to a greater ministry, and that greater ministry required a greater cleansing, a greater cleansing. We are moving into, ladies and gentlemen, a dimension of time. I thought about this, and I was going to use it in several weeks when I speak on something else. It is, it is believed that April 6th, in the year of 33 A.D., Jesus Christ was crucified. Do you realize this April 6th, we will be just 10 years from the 2,000th anniversary of his crucifixion? We are, we are going so fast down the tracks. We don't have time for anything else. We have to prepare for duty. When God moves, we need to be ready for it. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12, I felt so strong to, to quote this verse tonight. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Like Isaiah, when we stand in the presence of God, we express and enjoy our spiritual and Christian liberty as we ought to do. But I'm here to tell you tonight that God has some preparation to do on us to prepare us for duty. Can you lift your hands right now and give praise and honor unto the Lord? We have angels among us right now. I have no doubt. Hallelujah. I know there are those created beings among us encouraging us. They move among us. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. My God, my God, my God. Come on, let your worship go forth. Lift and exalt that name. Release the power that's in that name. Let praise fill this auditorium. Let a holy fire begin to burn within you. Let God burn out of us all the carnal junk that's holding us down and holding us back. Let's squelch in our anointing. Come on, we got to love with an unfeigned love, without partiality. Come on, God wants to use this church. God wants to give us a great breakthrough. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Come on, let the Holy Ghost move on you. Thank you, Jesus.
Come on, let that holy fire settle down upon you. I'm going to share something with you tonight. You, you be seated while they get Jonathan ready to baptize. I'm going to share something with you. This is just what I see. I, I haven't heard anybody else say this, so I'm just saying this is, this is me, okay? 
It's always been said that there's twice as many good angels as bad angels. I completely disagree with that. It started out that way, but now there are even many more than that. Hebrews 12:22 says, We are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. An innumerable company of angels. If you remember, in Dothan, Elisha told his servant that was freaking out because of the city was surrounded. He said, don't be afraid. There's more that be with us than they that be with them. Prayed God would open his eyes. He did. And the servant was greatly relieved to see the host of heaven. So Jesus is asked the question by the Sadducees who do not believe in a resurrection. They said, you know, if a woman's married and her husband dies, marries again, does it seven times, her husband dies when she goes to heaven, whose wife will she be? What a, what a perplexing dilemma for God. Jesus tells them, Matthew 22 and 30, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God. I'll finish this as soon as Jonathan's baptized. Let's stand.
give me just two minutes, two minutes. Jesus told them in the resurrection that you will be as the angels, right? Remember saying that? John, or Revelation 22, John had an angelic escort through all of his uh, visit through heaven, everything that he saw. And it says in the eighth verse of Revelation 22, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. The dead redeemed of God are as the angels. They're not angels. They're as the angels. And when Jesus comes back riding on a white steed, there will be a steed. There will be an army following him, and they will be the angels and the redeemed of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we're getting ready to take on the nature of angels. So they're growing in number. They're growing in number. God bless you. Thank you so much. Have a great evening.